We wonder how many polygamists and LDS actually are aware of the many Book of Mormon and Mormon scriptures that condemn polygamy. Next on Polygamy, what love is this? Thank you for joining us. We again have Dorothy Catlin as our co-host guest, and I thank you very much for coming and sharing these times as we present this information to our viewers. Thanks. It's been a delight. It's been a delight to have you, and I appreciate it so very much. And I hope our viewers learn from what we are talking about today, and we have some interesting information. The current Mormon Doctrine and Covenants contains a section which claims to be the revelation Joseph Smith said God gave him commanding the Mormons to resume the Old Testament practice of polygamy. In section 132, Smith wrote that God was pleased with the polygamists in the Old Testament and that God justified them because of their polygamy. But the Doctrine and Covenants didn't always condone or command polygamy. In fact, in 1835, the first edition of the Doctrine and Covenants included a section which denied their practice of polygamy and went even further by affirming that monogamy was the Mormon's only option. This is what it said. And at that time it was labeled section 101. Right. It's not anymore. Not today's. Right. Inasmuch as this Church of Christ has been reproached with the crime of fornication and polygamy, we declare that we believe that one man should have one wife and one woman but one husband, except in the case of death, when either is at liberty to marry again. So we already said that about the, the numbering changing. The, the numbering changed from 101. Yeah, it was to, 101. That, that it what, isn't the 101 today. It's different. Right. And, and this, by the way, is repeated in Mormon's History of the Church, Volumes 2, page 247. Now, the statement denying polygamy was included in section 101, was included in every printed edition of the Doctrine and Covenants up until 1876. Now, never mind that Mormons had secretly been practicing polygamy, and Joseph Smith had been dallying around with other women since before 1835. But in 1876, they removed section 101, which denied polygamy, and replaced it with section 132, which commanded polygamy. Isn't that odd? We quote. <laughs> For 41 years during the main period of LDS polygamy, the official scriptures of the church contained a section condemning the practice. Yet Apostle John Taylor, speaking in France in 1850, denounced the charges that the Mormons practiced polygamy in Utah on the basis of the 1835 section on marriage. Europeans made decisions to join the Mormons and immigrate based on this 1835 denunciation of polygamy, only to arrive in Salt Lake and find polygamy preached from the pulpit and all the main LDS leaders married to multiple wives. What a shock that was for so many of them. Now, the Mormons' efforts to hide two contradictory commandments hasn't escaped historical evidence, and it serves to affirm their ongoing deceit. So, they have the same book and supposedly the same God, both denying yet commanding polygamy for Mormons. How does that work? How correct is the Book of Mormon? It says God doesn't change and neither his do his decrees. 
Another item to be considered is that the current introduction to Doctrine and Covenants section 132 states this little bit of historical, chronological information. We read the heading. This is the current introduction. Although the revelation was recorded in 1843, it is evident from the historical records that the doctrines and principles involved in this revelation had been known by the prophets since 1831. So it goes way back, polygamy. The idea of polygamy yep. goes way back. I often wondered years and years ago that if Joseph Smith was so godly, why would he withhold a doctrine so important that it was do it or be damned? Didn't he care for the salvation of those from whom he was keeping the secret? And removing section 101 effectively admitted that it had been false. Either that or they were replacing it with something false. One or the other. Here's another interesting insight into their double standard. We quote from utlm.org again. Keep in mind, even the LDS essay, Plural Marriage in Kirtland and Nauvoo, concedes Smith had 30 to 40 wives. The essay on Nauvoo goes on to state, The rumors prompted members and leaders to issue carefully worded denials that denounced spiritual wifery and polygamy, but were silent about what Joseph and others saw as divinely mandated celestial plural marriage. This demonstrates the doublespeak of the early leaders. By carefully defining what Joseph and his leaders were doing as celestial marriage, they could then publicly deny polygamy, as though they were two totally different things. If a member entered plural marriage without Joseph's approval, he could be denounced for practicing polygamy. You know, the same thing goes today. They still think it's two different things, celestial marriage and polygamy, when actually it never was. From the very beginning, polygamy was both condemned and condoned, denied and practiced all at the same time. Most polygamists, and probably LDS, are well aware of the prohibition and condemnation of polygamy in the book of ja uh, Jacob, in the book of Mormon, Jacob chapter 2, and we've quoted from it dozens of times. But are you aware of several other passages in the Book of Mormon that also prohibits polygamy? Now, these three verses from Jacob in the Book of Mormon actually sums it up, and we're going to read them again and then go on to some others. Okay, Jacob 1.15 says, And now it came to pass that the people of Nephi, under the reign of the second king, began to grow hard in their hearts and indulge themselves somewhat in wicked practices, such as like unto David of old, desiring many wives and concubines, and also Solomon his son. Jacob 2.24, Behold, David and Solomon truly had many wives and concubines, which thing was abominable before me, saith the Lord. And Jacob 2.27, Wherefore, my brethren, hear me, and hearken to the word of the Lord, for there shall not be any man among you have, save it be one wife, and concubines he shall have none. Now, that's pretty clear, I'd say. And now, ver <laughs> now, verse 30 says, except if I command you to raise up righteous seed. But you know, you can have righteous children without having polygamy. So that really is kind of a null void verse, I, in my opinion. But notice that the, the, the verses that we just read says that the people, the polygamists of those days had hard hearts, that the practice was wicked and abominable. And in fact, when you get into Jacob 3, 5, it calls it whore, polygamy whore. Now, Mormon apologists claim that the Nephites were practicing polygamy unrighteously, and that's why God forbade them to continue practicing it at all until Joseph Smith could restore it because God could trust him to live it righteously. 
But after reading every single verse and observing Joseph Smith's polygamy, that interpretation cannot be right. But what about other Book of Mormon passages that forbid polygamy? Well, there's three in Mosiah. Okay, Mosiah 11.2 says, For behold, he did not keep the commandments of God, but he did walk after the desires of his own heart. And he had many wives and concubines, and he did cause his people to commit sin, and do that which was abominable in the sight of the Lord. Yea, and they did commit whoredoms and all manner of wickedness. Mosiah 11.14 says, And it came to pass that he placed his heart upon his riches, and he spent his time in riotous living with his wives and his concubines, and so did also his priests spend their time with harlots. And then Mosiah 13.22 says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Again, these are very descriptive. And of course, adultery is any sexual activity with some other, someone other than your legal monogamous spouse, which, by the way, is the only answer anyone should ever need about polygamy. God said, no adultery. Jesus said that when a man even looks at a woman lustfully, he has committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, note the descriptive words used in Mosiah's prohibition of polygamy. Abominable, whoredoms, desires of their own hearts, all manner of wickedness, riotous living with wives and concubines, harlots, and adultery. Does it need to be more descriptive than that before polygamists will believe that God has not commanded polygamy, but forbids it in their own scriptures? The book of Ether in the Book of Mormon also has something to say about polygamy. Ether 10.5 And it came to pass that Riplakish did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord, for he did have many wives and concubines. And Ether 10, 11, Hearken to the word of the Lord, for there shall not any man among you have, save it be one wife and concubines, he shall have none. Isn't it amazing that all of these scriptures can say this, and yet that's not what they do. Many wives and concubines were prohibited. One wife is all that was allowed. That's interesting to me that that's a place where the Bible and the Book of Mormon have some commonality. Actually agree, they yeah. agree with one another <laughs> about this, <laughs> at least here. At least here, <laughs> right. Uh, I, what my, my question is, what part don't they understand uh, of these verses that we've just read that don't do it? Right. <laughs> it's a flat-out veto of multiple wifery. Now, this is their marriage law which it was in 1831, we quote. Okay, we're quoting from the Laws of the Church of Christ, Kirtland, Ohio, May 23rd, 1831. A commandment to the elders, thou shalt not lie. He that lieth and will not repent shall be cast out. Thou shalt love thy wife with all thy heart, and shalt cleave unto her and none else. And he that looketh on a woman to lust after her shall deny the faith and shall not have the spirit. And if he repent not, He shall be cast out. Whoa, he's getting pretty close to what Jesus said there. Now, not only did the Mormons lie about polygamy until 1852, they publicly preached against it and repeated this behavior over and over again for years and years and years and repented not for their duplicity. (laughs) So what does their statement have to say about their own behavior? Now, Fanny Stenhouse <clears throat> was an early Mormon woman. She and her husband immigrated from England. 
But while she was still in England, they had been promised by Mormon missionaries that polygamy was a lie from devilish people who were enemies of the church. Now, the missionaries, of course, lied like this to thousands of European immigrants about polygamy. Fanny Stenhouse later wrote a book entitled Tell It All, and she did. We'd like to quote what she said after she read section 132 for the very first time. He handed me a copy of the Millennial Star, a Mormon paper published in Liverpool, and as I took it, I felt as if I were receiving my death warrant. It was indeed the well, it was indeed the death warrant to all my hopes and happiness. I rose from the table, asking them to excuse me, and overcome with agitation and conflicting emotions, I retired to my own chamber. There, for the first time, I read that document which has since brought such sorrow and misery to so many wronged and heartbroken women. The reader may perhaps like to see the only foundation and authority for the practice of polygamy ever produced by the Mormon leaders. And this was the revelation, this mass of confusion, cunning absurdity, falsehood, and bad grammar. This was the celebrated document which was henceforth to be law and confiding men and women who had embraced Mormonism. Looking at it now, noting its inconsistencies and its flagrant outrage upon common decency and morality, I can hardly credit that I should ever have been such a silly dupe as to give it a second thought. And yet, what could I do? I was bound hand and foot, as it were, and my very highest vision itself was distorted. Unquestioning obedience, we had been taught, was the highest virtue. Rebellion was as the sin of witchcraft. If I had been convinced, oh, I had been convinced of the truth of some of the tenets of the Mormon faith, and confident in them, I accepted without question all the rest. Now that shows and her, her the transition from, mm -hmm. from being a, a Mormon and an apostate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, polygamy group members today, of course, do what she did. They bow their, to their leaders in unquestionable obedience because they have been taught that to disobey them was one of the greatest possible sins. So they accept without question all that their parents and their leaders and their religion tell them. Yet almost every doctrine they teach is far removed from God's actual commandments. We're going to look at some of the verses of section 132 to help reveal what Fanny Stenhouse described as, quote, the death warrant to all her hopes of happiness, massive confusion, cunning absurdity, falsehood, bad grammar, inconsistencies, and flagrant outrage upon common decency and morality. Very descriptive words that's, she that's gave. That's a lot of language. <laughs> When she read it on your, her own for the first time, without the persuasive input of another Mormon, she saw section 132 for what it really is. And we encourage our polygamists and Mormon viewers to do the same thing. See section 132 for what it really is. Don't be afraid to check out for yourself what God did or did not say. And he never says anything that defies his holiness. It's your eternity, and God has commanded all of us to check out if we what we believe is God's truths and discard everything and anything that doesn't focus on Jesus alone to save you into celestial glory. So we begin our look at section 132, verse 1. This is, I think, verses 1 and 2. Verily, thus saith the Lord unto you, my servant Joseph, 
that inasmuch as you have inquired of my hand to know and understand wherein I, the Lord, justified my servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as also Moses, David, and Solomon, my servants, as touching the principle and doctrine of their having many wives and concubines, Behold, and lo, I am the Lord thy God, and will answer thee as touching this matter. So that establishes the context of section 132 in its entirety, right? Okay. Should there be any question as to the context of what's going on here at the beginning of section 132? Now, I can't help but wonder why Joseph Smith was even asking God about polygamy after what we already read in the Book of Mormon, and he wrote it. <laughs> Verses that clearly tell us that God was not pleased with the polygamy of Abraham, Jacob, David, and Solomon. Wouldn't Smith already know God's mind on it? Multiple places in the Bible, God said no to polygamy. Multiple places in the Book of Mormon, God said no to polygamy. Even Doctrine and Covenants 101 said no to polygamy until they changed it in 1876. Is Joseph Smith here trying to change God's mind? Or did this prayer even take place at all? Smith had already been caught in adultery, and now he's trying to place the blame on God and turn it into a commandment. And why does the Book of Mormon say that Abraham and the other Old Testament men's polygamy was an abomination? And here God says it's good. Cannot be both. It's one or the other, but it isn't both. So where did Joseph Smith lie? In the Book of Mormon or in the Doctrine and Covenants? Verse 3. Therefore, prepare thy heart to receive and obey the instructions which I am about to give unto you. For all those who have this law revealed unto them must obey the same. Now notice he calls it a law. Mm -hmm. And if you know it, you better do it. That's what it's saying. And, and if you don't, you're going to be in big trouble as he goes on as we go through uh, more verses here. How many millions of LDS people know about this law but don't do it? He says you better do it. Verse 4, For behold, I reveal unto you a new and an everlasting covenant, and if ye abide not that covenant, then are ye damned. For no one can reject this covenant and be permitted to enter into my glory. Uh, easy there to understand that, isn't it? <laughs> now Joseph Smith has changed Old Testament polygamy into an everlasting covenant, and, uh, and now must be practiced or face damnation. If it's rejected, there is no hope of entering into glory, clearly replacing Jesus. They trust polygamy to save them. Now, today's LDS claim that this is referring to celestial marriage, which to them is temple sealing of one man to one wife. That is not the context of what's going on. Read verse 1 and 2 again. The context is the multiple wives and concubines of Old Testament polygamists. Now, it was never meant to mean monogamy. Always polygamy or celestial marriage was merely a code word, as we've mentioned before, uh, a code word to hide the word polygamy. And the verse is clear, do it or be damned. He repeats the threat in verse 6, quote, and as pertaining to the new and everlasting covenant, it was instituted for the fullness of my glory. And he that receiveth the fullness thereof must and shall abide the law, or he shall be damned, saith the Lord God. So here we go again, do it or be damned. And, and this is the fullness. You don't have the whole thing until you're until doing this. Until this, exactly. Yeah. And he adds, thus saith the Lord, which turns that into a false, very mm -hmm. definitely, a false yep. prophet saying a false prophecy. Now, if this was just monogamy, why the threats? 
Who has to be threatened to live monogamy, for heaven's sakes? Joseph Smith has called this polygamy revelation a law, a new and everlasting covenant, a law to be honored or be damned. And why contradict the New Testament by demanding obedience to a law? The law, any law, has no power to save anyone's eternal soul. The very question of obedience to laws came up in the early church in the book of Acts. And here's the answer. And it's not polygamy and it's not eternal marriage, we quote. <laughs> Through him, Jesus, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. That throws out Joseph Smith's comments, doesn't sure it? Sure does. Polygamists and early Mormons taught that polygamy was part of the law of Moses. It really wasn't. But for the sake of their argument, this verse tells us plainly that even if it was, a person could not be justified by the law of Moses. There you have it. Now, the early Christian church had much to say about obedience to laws and commandments. We continue in Acts 15. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well if you avoid these things. Farewell. And then Acts 15.8 says, We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. So where's the requirement of polygamy? It isn't there. Now this is the early church, the church that Joseph Smith was supposed to have restored. Where's the polygamy? Back to section 132, verse 7 has to be one of those places that Fanny's sin house described as being a mass of confusion, absurdity, and falsehood. The verse is 153 words all in one long redundant sentence, but for the sake of time, we're not going to read all of it. <laughs> Well, there's plenty here. <laughs> yes, there is. <laughs> 132 verse 7. And verily I say unto you that the conditions of this law are these. All covenants, contracts, bonds, obligations, oaths, vows, performances, connections, associations, or expectations that are not made and entered into and sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise for time and all eternity, whom I have appointed on the earth to hold this power, and I have appointed unto my servant Joseph to hold this power in the last days, and there is never but one on earth at the time on whom this power and the keys of the priesthood are conferred, for all contracts that are not made unto this end have an end when men are dead. Wow. And this is just part of the verse, <laughs> part of the sentence. Now, after this long verse filled with confusion and nonsense, he has the nerve to say in verse 8, my house is a house of order, not of a house of confusion. But in verse 7, Smith is basically annulling all marriages that are not sealed by the power Smith claimed God has given only to him. How convenient is that? Only Joseph Smith could seal up people to heaven. But where's Jesus in that? He's the Savior, isn't he? Hmm. And as for confusion, polygamy causes houses that are out of order. Confusion in polygamist homes and families. Just read about Hagar and Abraham and Jacob and his four wives. Their homes were all filled with confusion and disorder. And I'm from a polygamy group. And I saw many homes, many families filled with confusion and disorder. Many. I... The one thing that I discovered after long, many years after I was gone, 
and started attending Christian churches with genuine love. Genuine love with the people and genuine love with families. I had never experienced that or seen it before in my life. Their houses are those of disorder. Just read the story of Jacob too. You'll get that. And also of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1. That was a house of disorder and he was a polygamist. Now we're out of time for this one. Uh, but next time we're going to continue going on through section 132 to discover what Fanny Stenhouse saw when she read the entire section for the very first time. Any comments, Dorothy, on all of this? Now you, were not, you don't have a background of Mormonism or polygamy, but you've lived in the Mormon culture for a long, long time. I have never met anyone who came out of a polygamy situation who had anything good to say about it. Uh, it, it, it is, it, by very definition, it promotes suffering and unhappiness and uh, inequality and jealousy and um, And that's what Rebecca Kimball had said. Mm -hmm. huh? Difficulty. Yeah, give up your rights mm -hmm. so we can take advantage of you. Right. That's basically right. what it is. And it's not from God. He does not have a double standard. Thank you, Dorothy. We're going to do part two yeah. of this in um, next time. So um, my closing comments is that uh, in, in the meantime, between this one and the next one, we encourage you to begin your own study of Section 132 and study through it. Turn off your Mormon filter, if you can, and consider what Section 132 really says. If you're willing to receive the truth of God, he'll make it clear to you that his holiness and his grace is nowhere evident in this passage of Mormon doctrine. God's truths will never compromise his own personal righteousness, and he ha doesn't have a double standard. And as you study this section, you'll discover it has nothing to do with Jesus Christ and his salvation by grace, through faith, not by works, because of the cross. See you next time for part two of our comments, and thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.